These past couple of weeks, we've been looking at a passage together. I want to put it here on the screen for you again today, and I want to invite you to read it along with me. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of God is upon you. This verse that you see right here, in many ways can be described as the heartbeat of Jesus' entire ministry, the heartbeat of Jesus' entire purpose, what Christmas is all about, and even further, the central message of what the Bible is trying to communicate. Repent because the kingdom of God is upon you. Repent because the kingdom of God is in your face. Now, I shared this with you last week. One Sunday a year, I save for myself utter geek fest. All right? And what we're going to be talking about today is what we can learn about this right here from the Lord of the Rings. Because I want to submit to you today that through these films and this, this devout Christian man who penned the novels, you can gain insight into what Jesus is saying here. Repent for the kingdom of God is upon you in ways that might utterly pass you by if you're not looking. Now, what I'm going to do today is share with you an alternate way of understanding the kingdom. Now, The Hobbit premiered Friday. Midnight release on Thursday. I'm just curious, who, who, who geeked out enough in the last 72 hours? All right, God bless you folk, and the rest of you, may I just say, as I shared last week, repent, all right, because the King of God is in your face. Now, what most people don't realize is despite the fact that the Lord of the Rings trilogy came out about 10 years ago and The Hobbit came out recently, The Hobbit was actually the first of the series, and the novel dates all the way back into the 1930s. What even fewer people realize is that J.R.R. Tolkien, the man who penned these novels from which Peter Jackson made the films was a devout Christian. In fact, he was uh, an acquaintance of C.S. Lewis when C.S. Lewis was an atheist. And C.S. Lewis actually attributes J.R.R. Tolkien and his mythic framework of looking at things as being instrumental in his very own conversion. And what I'd like to do today with you is share with you how tucked in the world of the Lord of the Rings are these absolutely powerful insights into God and to humanity into the nature of this universe that we live in and into this kingdom of God that Jesus talks about. And the real, the real goal of this today is not to leave you as Lord of the Ring buffs, though I hope you are, it's not to leave you feeling more educated about these films, but what I really hope happens today is that by looking at what this man penned in these novels, you come to know Jesus more. You come perhaps to know him in a way that you've never thought about him before, and that you come to fall in love with him in a new way that might have missed you on the pages of the Gospels because of the way that this man was able to pen and craft what the message of the kingdom of God is all about. Now, a couple of disclaimers. The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit are not allegories. 
And here's what I mean by that. If you go to The Hobbit or if you go to The Lord of the Rings and you try to find one-to-one -one connections between the characters and events in The Lord of the Rings and the gospel stories, you're going to fall flat on your face. Hob the hobbits are not the disciples, Gandalf is not Jesus, Sauron is not Satan, and there isn't a crucifixion scene. When Tolkien penned these novels, he didn't do it in such a way as to be a giant code to try to sneak up on you with the gospel by surprise. Instead, you have to look at it a different way. They're not allegory, but they're myth. And what that means is this that rather than look for one-to-one -one correspondence, tucked in embedded deep within the story are deeper themes of good versus evil, light and darkness, the fallenness of humanity, struggle, victory, salvation, redemption. And in essence, what Jesus is talking about when he says, the kingdom of God is upon you. Now, I shared this again briefly last week, but it's worth saying again today. With all sincerity, guys, and it's good to know my heart, these movies have, in, better put, these books have in many ways been, for lack of a better word, sacramental to me. See, I find, and I love what C.S. Lewis has to say, that God has the most unscrupulous ways of trying to communicate to his people. And God will use every vehicle there is in this creation to give us glimpses of what he is like and who he truly is. And there have been insights into the nature and character of God that, 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 that God has spoken to me through in these novels that have helped me see Jesus in, 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 in deeper ways. And my real hope again today is that maybe I can share just a taste of that with you. Because see, this is what sci-fi and fantasy allows us to do. At least good fantasy. It allows us to kind of step outside of our context for a moment and see an issue more clearly because of the way it stands apart from us. And so amazingly, sometimes, by approaching these deeper themes of life in the universe and God and creation and sin and redemption, through an alternate universe, God somehow and in some way comes to reveal something about our universe and our being and our relationship with Him. Are you with me? I think of my wife, Tina. And I remember the day, it was early on in our dating and engagement and even up early into our marriage when she would say things like this, you know, I believe in God. I love God, but I don't really care for Jesus. And the reason why is if you probed her on it, you came to find out that most of her life, Jesus was packaged in a certain kind of way. And by being packaged and presented through her cultural framework in a certain kind of way, it led her to a myopic view of Jesus with the inability to see the depth and the grandeur of who he might actually be. The turning point for my wife was a lion named Aslan. I remember that time when my wife finally came and told me, 
I don't care for Jesus. But I love Aslan. And because I love Aslan, I know that I love who Jesus really is. All the more. Because something within that tale was tucked about the mystery and the power and the grandeur of who Jesus really is. But only by stepping out of the story for a while and looking through new eyes could new insight come. That's kind of what happened to me in several ways with Lord of the Rings. And again, my hope for you today is that somehow and in some way, by looking at these films, by looking at these books, somehow you too have a similar experience. Where maybe you too seek God in his kingdom in a new kind of way. So, okay, here's the struggle. Lord of the Rings is three books. All right? Each roughly three to four hundred pages. Add the Hobbit onto that with another 300. Add the Silmarillion onto that with another several hundred of the driest stuff you'll ever read in your life. And add to that all the collections of letters that surround it, and you end up with a corpus of fantasy literature about the size of the Bible. And my guess is that 99% of us here today have maybe, if we're lucky, read 0.001% of that corpus. Either one, actually, for that matter. But, but we'll, we'll go with the Lord of the Rings for right now. And so there is so much tucked into these that, that our short time together today doesn't allow us to hit. But let me show you something here today. Just a few books I found laying around, picked off some shelves. The Christian World of the Hobbit. Following Gandalf, Epic Battles and Moral Victory in the Lord of the Rings, The Gospel According to Tolkien, Tolkien's Ordinary Virtues, Finding God in the Lord of the Rings. Go to a Barnes & Noble, do an Amazon search, and you're going to find that there is stacks of literature written on this topic that are kind of like this high, you know what I mean? And we, of course, have 15 more minutes. So how do I try to share with you what Jesus is getting at when he says, repent for the kingdom of God is in your face to help you maybe better understand what that is all about through this thing called the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. Here we go. Now, it struck me. We might need to start with this. What is a Hobbit? Because I don't think we can take for granted in this room that all of us know what a Hobbit is. So, in J.R.R. Tolkien's own words, what is a hobbit? I suppose hobbits need some description nowadays, since they have become rare and shy of the big people, as they call you and me. They are, or were, a little people. Flag that. About half our height, and smaller than the bearded dwarves. Hobbits have no beards. There is little or no magic about them, except the ordinary everyday sort, which helps them disappear quietly and quickly when large stupid folk like you and me come blundering along, making a noise like elephants which they can hear from a mile off. They are inclined to be fat, especially in the stomach, and they dress in bright colors, chiefly yellow and green. They wear no shoes, because their feet grow naturally leather soles and thick warm brown hair like the stuff on their heads, which is curly. They have long, clever brown fingers, good-natured faces, and laugh deep, laugh deep, fruity laughs, especially after dinner, 
which they have twice a day when they can get it. Now you know enough, now you know, now you know enough about hobbits to get on with it. And what strikes me when I see the portrayal of the hobbits in the book and when I read Tolkien's description is this. Do you know who hobbits are? They're you and me. They're a small people with little or no magic about them who are chiefly concerned in this life with things of comfort, a good home and a warm hearth, a full stomach and a full wallet, laughing with friends and certainly no adventure, certainly no danger, keep that a mile away, and certainly nothing to cause us any disrepute with the neighbors that we have. We're a people driven by the creature comforts of life and quite content, thank you very much, to let the world carry on in its own way as long as we can go home at the end of the day and have our fill. Read the pages of The Hobbit and this description of what these creatures are drips off the page. In fact, the entire plot device of the movie The Hobbit that just came out of the book that I shared with you here just briefly is of this one particular hobbit named Bilbo Baggins who has come to a stage in his life where he's done the hard work, he's content and well-off, he has good respect, he has a comfortable home, his larders are filled, his cupboards are stuffed, his friends come by and to sit in a sunny morning and just smoke his pipe and enjoy the day and keep adventure as far away as possible. It's a crazy wild old wizard who comes along, a prophet, if you will, who comes along and starts speaking into his life, kicking him in the butt, really, showing him of something deeper, of something grander, of something bigger on the world scene to which he would rather remain unaware. See, there's three themes that I want to share with you today that you could find in The Hobbit. All good epic literature, really. And the first is this. Things are not what they seem. Because the irony of while this hobbit lives in his comfortable hole, with his insulated world around him, from the video you just saw a minute ago, there are deeper forces in the universe at play. Struggles on the world scene that are happening. Epic battles of good versus evil that will ultimately and inevitably determine the fate of even the most comfortable, far-removed hobbit who thinks he is safe in his home. It's the great theme of all fantasy literature, isn't it? That things are not what they seem. That there's something bigger than this life that we experience right now. Neo is caught day to day in a nine to five job with an inkling inside that something's not right. Luke is out harvesting dust on a farm on Tatooine. All the while galactic empires are raging and Bilbo is sitting in his hole unaware that things are not what they seem. Because the reality of life is this. Quite often, it can feel regular, routine, boring, stale even. 
Sometimes, guys, doesn't it feel this way? That life is just sort of random. And that what we experience and that what we interact with really has no greater bearing outside of our own little world. See, what I've come to learn from people like Tolkien, people like Lewis, is that all the great epic fantasy stories inevitably derive their energy and power from the greatest epic story, which is the gospel. And what's common to both is that your world is bigger than what it might seem. There is more to your life and destiny than a full stomach and a comfortable home and a good smoke and a warm bed. That your life is not random. That your life is not just a meaningless day-to-day monotony and drudgery. That there is something deeper at play in this universe. And if we're not careful, we just might miss it. G.K. Chesterton, a man influential on Tolkien, writes this, with every step of our lives, we enter into the middle of some story which we are certain to misunderstand. How many times do we wake up and think things like, why is this happening? You've been there? Why am I going through this? God, why are you making me face this? Do you care? Do you hear me? The message of the great epics that derive their story from the greatest epic of all is that there is more to your life than what appears and than what seems. I'd like to read you a quote by Frederick Buechner. On Wednesday evenings, we've been celebrating this thing called Ancient Christmas, and I've been sharing with you these devotionals by this this amazing homiletician named Frederick Buechner, and listen to what he says. It is a world of magic and mystery, of deep darkness and flickering starlight. It is a world where terrible things happen, and wonderful things, too. It is a world where goodness is pitted against evil, love against hate, order against chaos, and a great struggle where often it is hard to be sure who belongs to which side because appearances are endlessly deceptive. Yet for all its confusion and wildness, it is a world where the battle goes ultimately to the good, who live happily ever after, and where in the long run, everybody good and evil alike become known by his true name. I'm curious, who's he talking about here? This is what he says. That is the fairy tale of the gospel. With, of course, one crucial difference from all other fairy tales which is that the claim made for it is that it is true. That it not only happened once upon a time, but has kept on happening ever since and is happening still. For those of you into the fantasy literature, you might remember what was said to Peter Pan, the stories are true. And Jesus says, let the listener listen. Or do you you see and not perceive? 
There is more to the world than meets the eye. You know, the second thing that I think comes rushing out of these epics is this. We are at war. We are at war whether we like it or not. We are at war whether we choose to believe it or not. We are plunged in the middle of a universe in conflict. No matter how comfortable we happen to be in our homes and our beds. Bilbo tucked safely away in the Shire, eating his food and sleeping by the fire. But all around him, chaos rages. And it's a chaos that won't stay at arm's length for all. I think of what Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is in your face. Even the very language, doesn't it, of kingdom seems to strike of conflict and warfare. Wouldn't you agree? I think of the way this drips off the pages of the scriptures. Paul writes this, Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. There is an epic war going on. And not only are you in the middle of it, it's for you. There are forces in this world that seek your destruction. There are powers at work that play towards the claiming of your being. I believe it was Tolkien who, who wrote in one of his letters how flabbergasted he is at the naivety of people in the world today to realize the forces of the enemy at play. What does it look like to look at your life as being engaged in an epic struggle as opposed to simply a sequence of events leading with an end score of more comfort than you started with. Because to jump into that is to start to glimpse maybe just a taste of what it means that the kingdom of God is upon you and the kingdom of darkness is at play. And there's something that seems to come out of movies like this, out of books like this that have a way of describing the nature of what this struggle and this trial really is. Have you ever noticed how terse the Bible actually is? Think about it. The sum total of Jesus' crucifixion is summed up in these words. And they crucified him. And then the story goes on to say some things that he says. But see, someone like Mel Gibson takes something like that and stretches it out for two and a half hours to give us an insight into what that Bible is so, in abbreviated fashion, trying to communicate. What is Tolkien trying to tell you about the nature of what it means to repent because the kingdom of God is in your face? And you know what the other big thing I've seen from The Hobbit is? Just simply the last one I'll share with you today. 
each of you has a critical role to play. <coughs> What's so amazing about The Hobbit and all epic fantasy literature is how it's the weak who end up being the strong. I think I heard that somewhere before. How it's the least of these who have the most crucial role to play. And I know it. There's a lot of us sitting here today. What could God possibly do with someone like me? What difference can I make? What significance is there to my life? Or maybe something like this. I blew it. I ruined it. I went on a path and there is no return. God can't use someone like me. Or maybe it's the fear. The fear of the struggle. The fear of the war, the fear of the conflict, the fear of the cost. The fear of what it means to turn and engage because the kingdom of God is here. There's a clip I want to show you. Something out of the Fellowship of the Ring that speaks really powerful to, powerfully to me. Listen to these words here just for a moment. I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides the live evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring. In which case, you also were meant to have it. And that is an encouraging thought. I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish these things had never happened to me. See, what the entire theme of the Lord of the Rings is about is one of these small people, insignificant and forgotten by the powerful forces of this world, who is entrusted with a task to take this one ring of power and bring it to the place of its destruction. And for four novels is stretched out the epic journey of a small person. Struggling against the world around him and struggling against himself, his frailty and his weakness and his sin. Seeking to discover what is right. Falling into circumstances beyond his control. And lamenting with a heavy heart saying, I wish this has never happened to me. And you hear the words of Christ right now. So do all 
who see such times. But it is not for them to decide. It is simply enough to decide what to do with the time that we have. Bilbo was meant to find the ring. And therefore, Frodo was meant to have it too. And therefore, the role you play in this world was also given to you. And it is simply yours to decide what to do with it. There is a life available of comfort and food, of warm beds and good fires, period. But there's also something more. And Jesus comes and says this, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is upon you. Let's pray. We are a small people, O oh God, frail against this great world, weak against so many of the powers that be. You have gifted us, God, beyond belief. You have gifted us warmth and comfort with so many good things. And Lord, like the hobbits, I think we're guilty of, of having our attention completely captured. Lord Jesus, you came preaching repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You came telling us about a greater world, a greater universe, greater forces at play, a greater meaning and a purpose to what life is all about and our lives are all about. Take us, God. Use us. And when we're reluctant and when we're reticent, speak boldly into our ears. Shoo us out the door. God, we're plunged into a story, and it's your story. And it's a journey with a hope. We face struggle. We face brokenness. We face pain. But all the while, we know, God, that you are there. And that you have purposes for each of us that go beyond what we can imagine. So stir us, God. Stir us and move us to see you, your kingdom, your purpose for this world. May we, as you said, turn and engage in the story that you have given us with all our heart and soul. Lord God, for you. Amen.